you take your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 121, I'm going to bring a message, Our Eternal Protector. I lift up my eyes to the hill. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, Yahweh, covenant God of Israel, who made heaven and earth. Look how personal He becomes now. He will not let my foot slip. He who keeps me will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is a psalm of ascent. This psalm was sung as the people of God pilgrimaged to Jerusalem. This song was a song of comfort for them as they dwelled on the dangerous plains of Palestine. As they headed in, Jerusalem was set on the hill. And as they traveled across open ground, they were vulnerable to attack. They could be attacked by enemy. They could be attacked by wild animal. They could be attacked by the sun as it dehydrated them in the day and by moon coolness at night in exposure. Many would be sick and many would be even unto death. That's the setting for this psalm. And it was written as a song to encourage them as they were on the last night of their journey. Every time they came to these plains, looking up into the hills and seeing Jerusalem in the distance, the camp as it was being set for the night would break out into this psalm. I lift up my eyes to the hills. And there they would be, on the plains, looking at Jerusalem. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Maker of heaven and earth. This is the song of comfort for a pilgrim on his journey. This is the song of a soldier as he encamps at night and faces death possibly the next day. This is a psalm that should be sung by all of God's people in every culture, from every tribe, and from every tongue. Why? Because many of you are harassed today. You've come here. And there's no wild beast hunting you, and yet you're being overcome with depression. I spoke with a gentleman this week, not a member of this congregation, but just like some of you, he has lost his job. In tears, he said, Carlton, I don't know how I'll feed my family. He's harassed. He's in trouble. He's under exposure. Some of you have lost loved ones. I think about Barb Manuel this week as she lost her father who she cared for faithfully all these years. I think about the widows in our congregation and their families as they've lost the heads of their family over the last few years. I think about the parents who have lost children and they're being harassed by the thought that my loved one is no longer here. They're exposed on the plains of this world to pestilence of death. And their heart is afraid. I think about marriages when I think about this text. I think about some of you who are on the brink of divorce. Even right now. You've put on a happy face for Easter. You've come to join your friends at worship. And you don't know if you'll make it through next week without calling a lawyer. Because see, your enemy 
has been hard after you. And you feel like there's no hope. You're scattered across the plain. Where will I find help? Well, based on the power of the resurrection, I want to tell you, no matter where you're at today, your only help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord will not fail you. He will not let your foot be moved. He will not let the sun strike you by day. He will not let the cold temperatures of the exposure of this world dampen your strong and living and beating heart, but He will hold it in His hand until you arrive at heaven. He will not fail. That's the hope we have as we join each other in worship on Easter. We have hope because of the Lord and His overcoming our greatest enemy. How many of you are facing this physical pain that I've described? How many of you are struggling in the pit of financial hardship? How many of you have come to this service right now depressed, oppressed by your enemies? I want to say to you that though you make your camp today on the plains of despair, lift up your eyes to the hills. Who will be your helper? The maker of heaven and earth. The one who has overcome your greatest enemy, death, when he walked out of that grave on the morning, that first Easter morning, a resurrection day, so many years ago. Because he defeated your greatest enemy, he can defeat your lesser enemies. That's the hope of this psalm. Even now, the psalmist is looking forward to the promise of God in his coming Savior. He doesn't know Him by the name we do. He doesn't know Him as Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But He knows He is the Messiah. And His hope is set on the promise of God that is represented in the hills that surround Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem was just a city to the world. It was a capital city of a nation like all the other nations to everyone else. But to the people of God, Jerusalem represented God Himself. And the Messiah who would sit on her throne one day. And so when he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, there's a message for us. We can boldly proclaim today that our helper is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You know, the fact of the matter is that we need to lift up our eyes to the hills. So many of us are glancing and staring at the troubles that surround us, are looking at our own failures so much and so often that we've lost sight of our help. We've lost sight of the One who makes all the difference. We're focused on today and nothing else. Some of you find yourself there now. In this text, when He says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, that might be strange to a person in their day because in just any location, the hills could be a place of both protection and a place of attack. Whenever the people walked through the valley and the hills shot up around them, all types of people hid out there. Robbers, thieves, rapists, dare, people that were, that were daring to defy Rome. People that were, in Jesus' day, people that were, that were de defying the, the governments of the day that the psalmists live. The hills weren't always a place of comfort. But they could be. Because you see, when you were in the valley, your hope was to make it to the hills where the high ground was yours where you would be on the higher ground of protection, the fortress of a mountain, an immovable mountain 
that could save you from the violence that surrounded you. The hope of the psalmist is that he can scale to the heights of protection and safeguard. That's his hope in verse 1. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Well, that's a good question. Where does my help come from? Well, he answers it straight away, doesn't he? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The hope of the psalmist is not in a physical hill, I would say. The physical mountains around Jerusalem were only a picture for him. Rather, the psalmist is reflecting on the fact that he dares scale the character of God. The mountain of the character of God. Where will the psalmist find protection? In the character of God. Do you see it? I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Jerusalem? No. From the maker of heaven and earth. His one desire as a pilgrim is to get to the very heart of who God is and be protected and shielded by God Himself. It, it comes out in other psalms. This isn't uncommon in the psalms. The psalms often depict God as a mountain or a fortress or a high tower of protection. What makes it such? Well, because our God's character is a character of all-powerful, all-consuming, all-knowing, ever-present, gracious, loving, merciful God. So when we're on the plains of despair, where do we run? To the creation? By no means. It will fail us. We run to God. Why? Because His character never fails. We run to God, the Maker of heaven and earth. When we face troubles in this life, our high and holy hill is the character of God. The all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. He is all-gracious, all-merciful, all-loving. What trouble are you facing? What trouble are you facing that He cannot stand in the way of? How, how are you in any way separated from Him whom He has loved? Think about that. The shelter of God's character is a bulwark against a mighty force. It is a safe tower in a time of need. And so we reflect on this character of God. But how do we know this is the character of God? How do we see the character of God most fully? The writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 says it this way, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, do you catch that? In the writer of the Hebrews, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. When I think of the heel of the character of God, I think of none other but Jesus Christ. He is the image. Look what it says. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. The highest hill of protection is the heel, the heel of God's Son. That's our highest protection. From where does my help come? The psalmist answer, my help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. We must understand that our true help can only come from the Creator, not the creature. 
So many of us have banked our lives and set our lives on the things that are transient in this world. It's no wonder that the suicide rate is in, at an all-time high in this country. Why? Because our country is possibly the most materialistic of all the nations in the world. So, we should not be surprised that now, four years deep, in one of the greatest downturns of economic history, ready to rival the Great Depression of this country, people are jumping out of windows, overdosing on pills, and taking loaded guns and putting them to their head. Now, it's easy to judge them. But if your only hope is in the financial security you can find in our economy, what hope do you have? What help will you find? You say, I would never do that. How about if your wife writes you a Dear John letter? What if you come home tomorrow? Work the whole long day. And there on the coffee table by your bed, the nightstand, is a letter that says, I can't take it anymore. Our marriage is too bad. I got to get out. What will be your response if your help is this world and all it has to offer? What will be your defense and what will be your high heel of protection when the doctor walks in and looks you and your wife in the eye and says, I'm sorry. You've got a cancer that is incurable. You've got a few weeks, maybe a month, maybe a few months. That's it. Who's going to comfort you in this world and what created thing will bring you satisfaction when you have to walk back through the home door and look at your three-year-old and your six-year-old and your nine-year-old and say, I'll never see them married. I'll never See their kids. If you lift up your eyes to the hills and the helper that comes is prosperity, the economic downturn will always push you to the brink. If you look up to the hills and the highest hill in your horizon is family, it will fail you. If your stronghold in this life is physical fitness, you're going to get old and die. And there will be no help for you. We've got to understand that the creature cannot help us. Only the Creator. Only the hope of heaven can be our hope. Here's the psalmist is speaking boldly. For an Israelite, this would be unheard of. That he would say that Yahweh is going to personally protect him. You realize these people didn't even speak the Lord's name. His name was so holy and so far above them that they created a lesser name, Adonai, to refer to the Lord. They wouldn't even use Yahweh. They wouldn't even write Yahweh. They had to substitute other names because His name was holy. Not in this psalm. Look what the writer says. My help comes from the Lord. You can't see it in your translation, but he says, my help comes from Yahweh. 
The culture around him, the religious culture, didn't dare say that Yahweh was their God personally, but rather he was the God of our fathers and the God of the patriarchs and the God of Israel. But look how the psalmist says, He's my help. He's my Lord. It's a very personal reflection. Whenever people question me about how can you find Christ in the Old Testament, my answer is always, how can you read the Old Testament and not find Him? Passages like this scream of Jesus Christ. I would make the conjecture, David is not looking to some vague and personal force of a God out there somewhere, but he's looking at the God called Yahweh. My God. My Lord. And that relationship is available to you. And it's available to me. And it's still alive in the church of Jesus Christ. And so, we see here that it's a personal relationship with the Creator that brings comfort to the psalmist. Again, we're looking through the lens of the psalmist at the magnificent character of God. Who would dare to say that the Almighty is my personal helper? Look what he says. My help. It's personal for the psalmist. My help comes from the Maker of heaven and earth. The Lord. Who would dare talk like this except someone who is a child of the Almighty? Nobody else would dare to say that. Nobody else's children run around here and say, my help comes from Carlton. No. If something terrible strikes in this church today as we're all seated here, I would tell you that every child back there is not looking for me. They're looking for you, Dad. Because they don't trust me. And they don't see me as protection. So when the psalmist says, my help comes from the maker of heaven and earth, the Lord, my helper, he's talking like a child to his father. He has confidence by the Spirit of God that he has a personal relationship with, through the covenant with Yahweh, the Lord of heaven and earth. And this confidence is what we as Christians have. On this resurrection morning, as we look at the finished work on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from the dead. It's our help that we're looking at. It's our Savior that we're beholding. It's Jesus Christ, my Lord. It's a very intimate relationship. Whatever struggle you have today, the Lord Jesus is familiar with it. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that we don't have someone who's far separated from us, but rather one like us. He's become a priest because He's our brother. And He has experienced what we have experienced. And therefore, He recognizes your pain and your suffering. Though He is without sin, Jesus Christ has suffered more than any created being has ever suffered. You say, my family's falling apart. Jesus knew it. He suffered it. Rejected by His own brothers. At one point, His mother and brothers wanted to grab him, to take him to be private because they thought he had lost his mind. You think you've been rejected? Jesus knows what that's like. He lived in exposure. The Lord Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You say, 
I may lose my home. Jesus never owned one to lose. The one who owned it all owned nothing in this life. You say, I've got physical struggles. I don't know if the Lord can understand that. Sure He can. The Lord was hungry, just like you get hungry. The Lord was sick, just like you get sick. And ultimately, the Lord took the greatest beating and the most suffering that any of us could ever imagine on the cross. And He bore it without one word of complaint. Without lifting His voice in defense. He took it like a sheep led to the slaughter. So when you're suffering with cancer or with any other disease, think of it this way. That doesn't stand in the same vicinity as the suffering of the cross. Just, just pales in comparison. So what do we do? We look to Him and we run to Him who understands our sorrows because He was a man of sorrow. We look to Him with our mental instability. Say, so, well, the Lord was never mentally unstable. You've never read the account of the Garden of Gethsemane? That's despair if I've ever read it. You're struggling with depression? He was tempted in all those ways. He knows it. He didn't sin in it, but he experienced the pain of the mental anguish of being separated from God, whom he had been face to face with from before the foundation of the world. I tell you, you can't list a trouble or trial from this life that my Savior doesn't know and hasn't experienced and had victory over. What hill are you looking to this morning? Where are you running for your hope? If it's not the resurrected Lord, everything else will fail you. You have no hope. Your life will end in shambles. It will be destroyed. No, our help comes from the Creator, not the creature. Whatever struggle we have, and whatever situation we find ourselves in, we're looking to the One who is in heaven and has created heaven and earth. I want to touch on one final thing that I know some of you are struggling with this morning. It's very personal. I want to comfort you. Some in this congregation are struggling because their children are not believers. Your heart hurts because your elder children have left your home and your influence and they don't know the Lord. And some of you are ready to give up on them. I just want to tell you, lift your eyes up to the hills. Your help comes from the Lord. He has not forgotten your sorrow over your child. When you've lain awake at night, weeping tears of brokenheartedness over their rebellion, He has wiped away your tears through His Spirit. You may be on the plains, but He will lift you up to the hills, to the strong tower that He is. And He will give you peace. I can't promise you that your children will ever know the Lord, but I can promise you the Lord knows them and He knows you. And He will act justly on their behalf.
this psalm is a psalm that we should see as an ultimate psalm of hope. It's a song of ascent. It was sung on the journey into Jerusalem that last night as the pilgrim camped waiting to enter the holy city. We can boldly say today that the Lord will not let us fall from salvation because His protection is without end. In this segment of the psalm, we have a stair step. If you look at chapter 121, verse 3, 4, 5, and 6, we see a stair stepping, a parallelism that is unmistakable. Look what he says. He, the Lord, will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. That's a repeating of the same concept. His protection never ends. He's never off guard. He never falls asleep. He's always alert to your needs. And He's always there to keep your foot stable on your journey. Then He goes in verse 4 to the general. So He's very specific. He will not let your foot slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. But look what He says in the next verse. Behold, He who keeps Israel... The general nation, the people of God, will neither sleep nor slumber. He doesn't grow tired. He's never weary. He keeps all the people of God. He keeps me, and He keeps all the people of God. And then look what He does in verse 5. There's the parallelism. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your keeper. Here we see a transition in verbs. Not only is the Lord... Has He been watching over you? And has He been keeping your foot still? But now we go to a tense and verb that tells us He will never fail to keep you. That's the way it reads. The Lord will always be your keeper. That's what the text literally says. Isn't that comforting? Everything in life will fail you except Jesus Christ, the Maker of heaven and earth. He will never fail to keep you. That's ultimate comfort. And in this parallelism between the personal and the national or the corporate people of God, we see that He not only keeps one, but He keeps them all. He watches over everyone. It's real and immediate, this help. It's right here next to us. When, we are le- when we're leaning on the security of God in Christ, we can be comforted that He will not fail us and He will not let us fall. God's protection never grows tired. He never gets to the end of the day and says, I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. All of the deities of the nations around Israel believed in impersonal gods or they believed in basically exalted humans. People, creatures who had become gods because of their valorous acts. But those people knew that their gods had to rest. Their gods had to sleep. Their gods were not all powerful. But the psalmist knows his God is. When your God's sleeping, my God is awake. When your God is not ever present with you because he's an impersonal force in the universe, my God is holding my foot so that it doesn't fall from the pathway of life. That's our God. That's the way he loves us, very personally. Very intimately. One of the great dangers of climbing a hill or a mountain, especially the mountains surrounding Jerusalem, was that you would fall. That your foot would slip. And that you would fall to your death. So when he says he will cause your foot to stand or not be moved, 
That's a literal word of personal protection. God plants our feet on the rock of Jesus Christ that they will never sink and never slip and never fall. I look to the hills from where my help comes. That hill is the character of God reflected in the face and person of Jesus Christ, the maker of heaven and earth. He's not an impersonal force way out there somewhere. He's intimately holding me in the trials of this life that I don't fall perilously to my death. Because He not only keeps me, but Jesus Christ keeps all who have come to Him for refuge. He will lose none until the day of salvation. That's the kind of confidence we should have as we look and reflect over this psalm. Psalm. His protection is sufficient for every condition of life. That's in verse 6. The sun shall not strike you by day, the moon by night. The sun was, was, was uh, there to plague them in the daytime as they were in the open country with no shade. It was easy to face dehydration. It was easy to face, be overcome with the elements that presented by the day. And if the day didn't get you, the night would. As you camped out on the plain, the, 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 the temperatures would drop sometimes 25, sometimes 30 degrees at night. And exposure would take the weak. So when he says, hey, the Lord will be your shade over the sun, from the sun, and he will protect you when the moon comes out, he means in whatever condition of life you're in, young or old, rich or poor, in good times or times of struggle, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord will protect you. As we look here at the text, we find that God's help is all-sufficient. When we can, we can boldly say today that the Lord will keep us from all evil from now and throughout eternity. The Lord will keep your going out, it says, and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. In other words, no matter whether you're going to Jerusalem or coming away from Jerusalem, the Lord will protect you. No matter where you're at in your journey, in this pilgrimage towards heaven, God is with you, protecting you from evil. Guarding you against the temptations of this world. This text very well may have been in the Lord's mind when He taught His disciples to pray and deliver us from evil or from the evil one. Keep us from temptation in that prayer. We read the line. Very much this concept of God's character of protection is in Jesus' mind often in His ministry as He provides what's needed for the day and for the journey. The Lord keeps us, whether it's going out or coming in, today and forever. And so I want to end by saying, how does He keep us? I mean, all of this is great. But how is God keeping us? I want you to take your Bible and turn to John. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 is connected directly, directly to Psalm 23. But indirectly, it's connected to all of the psalms of God's pastoral care of His people. And what we've just read in Psalm 121 and exposited is a psalm of pastoral care. 
shepherding care. Israel was the flock of God in the Old Covenant. And He was her shepherd as she headed out in the pilgrimage of life. Jesus Christ says in John chapter 10, verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. So Jesus says a shepherd can call his sheep. His sheep hear his voice because they know him and they follow him. The very personal relationship is on display between the shepherd and the sheep. It's a very personal relationship. What does that have to do with our situation? Jesus says in verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. So, to come to this protective God we've described in Psalm 121, Jesus says, I'm the door. You want to come to the sheep? You want to be in the sheepfold of God? I'm the door. In John 14, He says it this way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Me. He's the door. But He's more than the door. Look what it says in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. He's not only the way to God, but He is God the shepherd of the people. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that I must have that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So as the sheep are exposed to the attacks of their enemy, the wolf, the false shepherds run. The false shepherds fail. They won't protect the sheep ultimately, but allow them to be harassed and attacked. But the good shepherd stands between the wolf and the flock. He gives up his life so they might live. So, there's one flock and there's one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So I've described to you in Psalm 121 the condition of all of our lives. We're in the pilgrimage of despair. We're facing the trials of life. Some of you are asking, where will we get help from? The answer, not from the creatures, the hired hands. Not from those who pretend to be our protection, like family and friends and prosperity. 
Because see, when the wolf comes, all those things run and flee. And we're eaten alive. Where does our help come from? The shepherd. The good shepherd. How does he protect us? He stands between the wolf and the flock. And he is eaten alive that the sheep live. What a pitiful story. What a sad description. Oh, no. No. Because he's not standing between the wolf and the flock because somebody made him. He's standing there because he chooses to. He's not exposed and weak. He's the creator of heaven and earth. The evil wolf, sin, death, and Satan that want the flock and want to eat it alive, Jesus is saying, you can't have them. You can have my body, but you can't have them. Is this the end of our story? Absolutely not, because no one took his life. No one can keep him from regaining his life. For our good shepherd not only stood between us and the evil one and took our punishment, but at the end of the punishment, he raised from the dead. I lay down my life, and I take it up again. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down for my sheep. I tell you, ultimately, Psalm 121 finds its only, only fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So what I'm challenging you to this Easter is to take your eyes off your circumstances, your sickness, and your sin. And put your eyes on the helper that comes from the hills. His name, Jesus Christ. The name above every name. And He comes not as a hireling, not as one forced to come, but as one who loves you and has laid down His life for you. And the beautiful miracle of this day is that when He laid His life down, His Father was satisfied and he no longer is facing condemnation over his children. But his condemnation has been taken into the body of Christ and consumed completely. And on the third day, Christ rose again. So that now there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Where does my help come from? Not from a physical fortress, but from Jesus Christ, the maker of heaven and earth, who laid down his life for me, defeating my greatest enemy, sin, Satan, and death. And His Father was satisfied, no longer angry at me, no longer at war with me, but now He's been reconciled to me through the body of His Son, Jesus Christ. And I look to Him and I see Him in the eyes of faith and cling to Him as my only hope in this life and the next. And what do I receive? Help, now and forevermore. If you come to Jesus, I can't promise your life will be easy. It may very well be more difficult. But I can promise you in the difficulties of this life and the failures you experience and the disease that strikes you and your loved ones, Jesus Christ will not run away. He will not flee, but He will stand with you. He will hold your foot that it does not slip. He will shade you when the sun and the heat of blessing or the, bless, or the heat of curse 
falls on you. He will be there when the moon brings in the coldness that seeks to take your life. He'll be there. When everyone else has failed, He will stand. So, why preach Psalm 121 on an Easter morning? Why not the cross? Because I believe in Psalm 121 we find the picture of the cross. Because ultimately, I've lifted my eyes up to a hill. It's where my help came from. Because the maker of heaven and earth hung on that hill. And he died. He didn't let my foot slip. Even while he suffered through the death of the cross, he held me. He didn't lose any. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he didn't fear evil. Because God was with him. And even when God turned away, he suffered until he was dead. Oh, the depression that must have set in then. But in their depression, there was only one hope. It's the hope that we have available to us. Our shepherd has laid down his life and he has taken it up again. 